You are listening to a podcast produced by the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. Follow this and our other podcasts on nzcpr.com. Welcome to our podcast for the 15th of November 2023, presented by Dr. Muriel Newman. The new parliament is one of the most radical ever elected. Last week we saw a Green MP leading an anti-Semitic crowd in a war chant to destroy Israel. And just days earlier, both Green Party leaders promised to amplify opposition to Act's policy to hold the referendum about the treaty principles. Clearly, it's a party that is now more extreme than it is Green. The Mary Party chimed in with its own threats. They promised action to close down cities and a hikoi of all hikoi's if the new coalition government dared to challenge Maori privilege. The question is, will the new government cave in to bullies or will it let democracy prevail? Here's Muriel Newman. Parliament has not even been sworn in, but already the Greens, the Maori Party and Labour are demonstrating levels of radicalism and hate not seen before in our House of Representatives. Their target is the new government and anyone who opposes their extreme agenda. When Green Party MP Chloe Swarbrick chanted from the river to the sea at a recent rally for Gaza, the crowd responded, Palestine will be free. The words of this battle cry can be found in the constitution of Hamas, the terror group that controls Gaza and which launched the attack on Israel, killing more than a thousand civilians and capturing hundreds of hostages. The expression from the river to the sea refers to the land between the Jordan River bordering the east of Israel and the Mediterranean Sea to the west. It's commonly understood to stand for the complete annihilation of Israel and the Jewish people. When a British Labour MP used a similar expression at a pro-Palestine rally, the Labour Party leader condemned the comments as deeply offensive and suspended him from the party. Not so here. Not only was Chloe Swarbrick not suspended, but a Green Party co-leader, Marama Davidson, was egging her on. This incident is indicative of the radicalisation of the Greens. They've morphed from a party of environmentalism to one of extremism. Even the other co-leader, James Shaw, who's long cultivated an image of moderation and reasonableness, has now revealed he's just as radical as the rest by predicting violence and wide-scale social disruption if the new government goes ahead with the ACT Party's proposed referendum on the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. Marima Davidson elevated the rhetoric by threatening the new government. She said, just try and come for the treaty, just try. And she warned the Greens will do everything they can to incite public opposition and resistance. Quote, there's going to be community-led resistance and movement that the Greens will absolutely amplify. Not to be outdone, the Maori Party President John Tamahiri claimed all hell would break loose if the government tries to introduce the referendum. He promised a well-organised protest action, saying the protest will be significant. There will be days of national Maori action 
and they'll close down Whangarei, Auckland, Tauranga, Hamilton and Wellington. He described the referendum as a clarion call for protest action around the country. He directed his comments at the new Prime Minister and the National Party, saying even conservative Māori who voted for National would come out with us. The rhetoric from the Labour Party was even more menacing, with former Minister Willie Jackson making inflammatory threats that Māori would go to war over the referendum. Quote, If there's a referendum, I'll stay around for as long as it takes to fight that and stop that. I'm amongst people who will go to war for this, war against Seymour and his mates. End quote. And on TVNZ's Q&A he warned, Let me tell you now, if they try and push that through, it'll be the 81 Springbok Tour, civil unrest 5 times 10. Prior to being repealed in 2007 by the then Labour government, such comments would likely have qualified as sedition under Section 81 of the Crimes Act 1961, which states, quote, A seditious intention is an intention to bring into hatred or contempt or to excite disaffection against the Government of New Zealand, or to incite, procure or encourage violence, lawlessness or disorder, or to incite, procure or encourage the commission of any offence that is prejudicial to the public safety or the maintenance of public order, or to excite such hostility or ill will between different classes of persons as may endanger the public safety. End quote. Isn't all of this exactly what Labour, the Greens and the Maori Party are doing? So what is it that's giving rise to such orchestrated threats? The ACT Party has proposed a referendum to clarify the meaning of the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. Even though the Treaty of Waitangi doesn't have any principles, dozens have been invented by the judiciary, the Waitangi Tribunal, academia and the civil service to embed a wide variety of race-based privileges into our legislative and regulatory framework. This week's NZCPR guest commentator, Dr Michael Bassett, a former Labour government minister, outlines the process. Quote, Over the last 20 years, the tribal elites began inventing arguments that under the Treaty of Waitangi, Māori were entitled to more and more from the taxpayer. A growth industry and treaty fiction emerged. Before long, a 1987 court declaration that the Treaty of Waitangi was something akin to a partnership between Māori and the Crown developed into a call for a 50-50 split in governance over all resources, despite Māori numbering barely 17% of the population. End quote. We all know what happened next. Using the invented treaty partnership principle as justification, Labour's secretive hipuapua plan for tribal control was steamrolled across the country. ACT's proposed referendum would define three principles based on the original three articles of the treaty in a Treaty Principles Act, and the public would then be asked to support or oppose the law change. The first principle would be along the lines of the New Zealand government has the right to govern New Zealand. The second, the New Zealand government will protect all New Zealanders' authority over their land and other property. And the third, all New Zealanders are equal under the law with the same rights and duties. 
These three principles reflect the original three articles of the Treaty of Waitangi, which are eloquently described by Saraparana Nata in his 1922 explanation of the Maori version of the treaty. So the battle to regain democratic control of our country has now begun. Labour, the Greens and the Maori Party are determined to prevent the new national-led government from even considering a referendum, since it would not only jeopardise the privileges secured for the tribal elite, but it would also undermine their own power base, which depends on the continued categorisation of Maori as victims of a tyrannical majority. Fortunately, most Maori don't buy into the agenda of these radical separatists. Most Maori have the same aspirations as everyone else. They want to build a better life and a brighter future for themselves and their families. And it's long past time that we stopped isolating them through separate race-based laws and practices and began treating them as the equals they are. That was a recommendation made back in 1960 when Sir Jack Hun, the Deputy Chairman of the Public Service, published his landmark report into Māori Affairs. That report recommended the phasing out of separate statutes for Māori. The report also noted that Māori disadvantage was socio-economic, not race-based, and it said, quote, Such discrimination as may exist is obviously not racial but social, and applies between different groups of society, whether Māori or European. Equality was also the recommendation made by the 1986 Royal Commission into the electoral system, which suggested that if MMP was introduced, there should be a communal role and no race-based differentiation. They argued that Māori would receive more effective government if they were part of the mainstream of society. They also warned that the Māori seats would create a disproportionate over-representation of Māori in Parliament if they were not removed, and they were clearly worried about the consequences. They said, quote, Nor do we think it's appropriate that any minority group should have the power of veto in the legislation of a democratic nation. End quote. They'd no doubt be horrified to witness the introduction of the new apartheid-style health system, that prioritises patients on the basis of race instead of clinical need. That's clearly the result of a minority group holding disproportionate power and a right of veto. Now, more than 30 years later, we can see the Commission's prediction was absolutely correct. David Farrer of Curia Market Research has done the analysis. Of the 122 MPs elected to Parliament, 33 are Maori while Māori make up only 13.7% of the adult population, their representation in Parliament is almost double, at 27%. They're more than halfway towards their 50-50 hipuapua goal. With non-Māori significantly underrepresented in Parliament, it's now time our electoral law was reformed to rectify this imbalance. If the Māori seats were removed, Māori would still make up more than 20% of Parliament, so claims there would be an under-representation if the reserve seats were abolished are unwarranted. Furthermore, while 18 of the Māori MPs are list members, the fact that 8 won general seats while 7 won Māori seats invalidates claims that the system is hostile to Māori. 
Opposition parties aren't just threatening to incite violence over the referendum either, but over any law change that would undermine the iwi power base. The co-leader of the Maori Party, Debbie Nariwa-Packer, claimed there would be, quote, an uprising of the hikoi of all hikoi's if national attempts to fix their Marine and Coastal Area Act, even though it's now been engineered by the Court of Appeal to ensure that virtually the entire coastline and territorial sea will end up under tribal control. Given the law will now deliver the exact opposite of what Parliament intended when it was passed in 2011, the new government must, as a matter of urgency, restore the law that upholds the public interest and the birthright of every New Zealander to enjoy free and unfettered access to our coast. In reality, the threats of violence and civil unrest that are being issued by NPs are a last-ditch attempt to protect the separatist power base that's been established over the last six years within the public service and the private sector. They are desperate to prevent the new government from exercising the mandate they've been given by voters to restore democracy and remove all traces of tribal rule and hipurpur from our statutes, attempting to intimidate and bully the new Prime Minister and the public into submission is their strategy. Let's hope democracy and our right to live in a country where the big issues can be tackled through the ballot box prevails. That's it for this week. Don't forget to visit www.nzcpr.com if you'd like to register for our free newsletter, take part in our poll or access a treasure chest of valuable information. See you soon. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by NZCPR Media.